0: All right, everyone, I'm sure we could go and talk about, you know, the the blessings of the Lord forever. But uh, if we could come together, that'd be great. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. uh, Last week, we began our series on the life of David. And so we're going to continue to do that. And we said that the purpose of this study is to learn how to grow as deep disciples in our spiritual lives, right? So this morning, we want to turn our attention once again to the most familiar story in all of the Bible. It's a story that many of us know. Even non Christians know this story because it's an amazing story. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And what I'm gonna be doing is I'm gonna start reading from verse, and I want you to get the whole scope of this. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'll begin reading in verse 32. Here's the word of God And David said to Saul, Let no one, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. "'You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from youth.' "'But David said to Saul, "'Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, "'and when a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, "'I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. "'When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. "'Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear.' This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off, verse 40. And then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David, and he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come at me or come against me with sword and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the Carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you all into our hands Verse 48 as the Philistine moved closer to attack him David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. Verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sha'arim road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And in verse 54 it says, And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Here's a truth that we want to look at this morning, and it's this. As Christians, we will all at some time encounter giants in our lives. And what I mean by giants are those overwhelming obstacles that will leave us feeling outmatched, outclassed, outnumbered, outmaneuvered. Maybe you've met this Goliath. And what do you do when you come face to face with this giant? Maybe you're facing him right now. Maybe you're in a place where there is a giant of sudden calamity. When a problem appears unexpectedly and without warning, what do you do? Or maybe there's a giant of habitual sin that is in your presence that keeps coming again and again like a tidal wave crashing onto the shore. Maybe you're in a giant of debilitating illness that zaps your strength and threatens to blow out that fleeting, flickering faith that you have. Maybe it's the giant of financial hardship that brings so much stress, so much anxiety in this particular season of your life. Maybe you're under a giant of a strained relationship. Right now, your marriage is on the rocks. Or there's a betrayal of a trusted friend that leaves you feeling bitter and resentful. Maybe there's a giant of past scars, emotional scars, physical scars, psychological scars that threaten to leave you to the shell of a person that you once were. You see, when we focus on these giants, they can paralyze us in fear. They can beat us down and leave us to discouragement and even to despair. But the story of David and Goliath teaches us to look beyond the oppressive giant. It teaches us to look to Jesus Christ as our deliverer and to trust him for our victory. You see, in the power of the Holy Spirit, every one of us can become giant killers, victorious conquerors over the obstacles that we face. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at three principles, three principles that David practices in defeating his overwhelming giant. I call this the three Bs. I call this the three killer bees. okay? I'm going to be a little bit corny today, but you know, that's how I preach. That's how I roll, right? Three killer bees. Number one, if we could look at it, you can take notes if you want. The first principle is beware to. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Now, I need to give you some background and some context so that it can really, we can really understand this. We, You know the story. You've heard it maybe since Sunday school, okay, many of you. The armies of Israel are assembled on one mountain, and the armies of the Philistines are, uh, are assembled on another mountain. And there's a vast valley called Elah between them. And every morning and every evening for 40 days, a nine-foot-tall, if you could imagine nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath, who is the undisputed, undefeated champion in single combat challenges Israel to a fight. And this is what he says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Give me a man to fight. Now that sounds kind of like a fantasy thing, right? Have you ever read that and thought to yourself, that couldn't happen in real life. That's like a Game of Thrones episode, right? I don't understand how that could ever happen. Well, in the ancient Near East culture of the time, nations practiced this very thing. It was called representative battle. And it was two representative warriors who faced each other in a life and death battle in single combat for the outcome of their nations. And it was a common practice. So Goliath was saying, I'll represent my nation, the Philistines. Now, who will represent Israel? Now, this is really important. If you don't get this, everything in the story is not going to make that impact to you that it's supposed to. The reason why nation battles were ultimately decided by the gods. So the warrior representing the most powerful God would win. Representative battle showcased whose God was greater. So the battle was not about nations. It was about gods. So keep that in mind. Goliath was declaring, Dagon, my God is greater than your God, and I'm gonna confidently represent him. Now, who has the confidence to represent the God of Israel? So, for 40 days, there's no response among the Israelites. They're all afraid. No one wants to represent. And that's why I love David so much. He agrees to fight the giant. Think about that. This 17 year old boy steps forward. To be God's representative because he has supreme confidence in the true and living God. Can I get an amen? Yeah? Everyone else is afraid because they're focused on the giant. They're intimidated by his appearance. They're immobilized by his threats. They are overwhelmed by his sheer size. He's massive, but not David. By the way, do you remember last week we talked about this? He refuses to call him a giant. He refuses to call him a champion. What does he call him? An uncircumcised Philistine, right? And we talked about it and we said, it's not really name calling. Yeah, that uncircumcised Philistine. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that that person is a pagan outside of God's covenant community. What right does he have to talk about God? He doesn't know God. He doesn't know the true and living God. That's what he's saying, right? And he calls him uncircumcised. You see, David looks beyond the oppressive giant and he focuses on the greatness and the glory of God. You know, so many of us, we struggle the exact same way as the Israelites. We focus our fears on the giant. We're overawed by its size and scope. We allow its rhetoric to get in our heads. And we say to ourselves, I can never overcome this. I can never have victory over this. What's going to happen? And we forget the promise that God gives us in 1 John 4, 4 as Christians. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Verse 37, let's look at it. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head, verse 39. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. And get these five words. So he took them off. So King Saul cannot dissuade David from this foolish decision. So he dresses David in soldier's armor so at least we'll give him a fighting chance. But David refuses the armor. He won't wear it. Now, why does he do that? You know, I was reading a business book by a famous business author that was referring to the scene of David and Goliath. And he was referring to this particular scene in verse 37 to 39. And he says that the reason why David took off his armor and he wouldn't wear it was a leadership lesson in business, okay? And this is what it was, that David was an ingenious creative like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, and he defied the conventional armor being thrust upon him, right? And because he had this new innovative method, because he was new in his style and he had this new innovative tech, the sling and the stone, right? And since Goliath suffered from giantism and all the problems resulting from that disorder, he was vulnerable to David's new method. So he wasn't ready for the new innovative battle that was engaged by the underdog David. What do you think about that, right? That sounds pretty fanciful. It sounds pretty cool, but it misses the whole point of the story. That's not what the story is about. David doesn't wear armor, verse 39, because I'm not used to them. He had never worn armor before. He's a shepherd boy. He had never used a sword or a spear or a javelin javelin like that before. The point is that David didn't see armor as crucial to the victory. Now, listen, the reader is supposed to beg the question, how can anyone go into battle without armor? I mean, this David is crazy. He's foolish. Man, being a kid, he doesn't understand the situation. And I'm sure that's what Saul thought. I'm sure that's what everyone thought. How is a 17-year-old boy without any military experience carrying a sling and a pouch of stones going to defeat a nine-foot battle-tested champion in full armor and a whole arsenal at his disposal? Hey, what did David say would be, the reason, or would be the weapon that would be used to kill Goliath? You know, many of us, we've heard this story so much that all of us would raise our hands and say, well, it's that sling, it's that stone, it's that new tech, right? Well, let's look in verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you with my mighty sling in the name of the Lord Almighty. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David is saying, you come against me with sword, right? That's man's armor. With spear, that's man's armor with a javelin. That's man's armor. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. I want you to notice the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When the Bible uses this, it's referring to the personal name of God. This is the highest and holiest name of the creator and sustainer of all things. So David is calling upon the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign, immutable God to champion his cause and to fight his battle. David is calling on the name of the Lord. Can I get an amen? Are you understanding this? Psalm chapter 91 verse 14 says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will deliver him and I will protect him because he knows my name. And when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life i will satisfy him and show him my salvation because he knows my name you see david does is not focused on man's armor he could care less he doesn't expect to win this battle based on weapons and armory david knows that his victory comes from the lord and so he is focused on the name of the lord look at what david says in verse 47 all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear That the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. How about you today? When you face your giant, are you focused on man's armor? When a sudden calamity befalls you, where do you run? Is the first thing that you rely upon your specialist, your financial advisor, your doctor, your lawyer? When a strained marriage comes to a head, Do you rely on man's wisdom for salvation? Do you decide, you know what, it's time to get a divorce? When habitual sin plagues your life, do you solve it through self-determination, behavior modification, psychology, and self-help? And you tell yourself, I'm just going to do better. When a financial crisis comes, do you plan and scheme and manipulate? Do you rely on your talents and ability, your ingenuity to weather the storm? I'm not saying that armor is evil. It's good to have it on the battlefield. Your talent, those specialists, that technology, your ingenuity can all be helpful to you. But my question is, do you rely on man's armor to give you victory over the giant? Are you trusting in your abilities, your bank account? Are you trusting in that strategic planning, or that treatment to save you. And many times the giant ends up being too big, or too great, or too powerful, or too sophisticated for your armor. And maybe that's why this giant terrifies you. Maybe that's why it defeats you again and again. The beauty of this story is the battle is the Lord's, right? You see, God desires for you to call upon his name, You know, there's a tremendous disconnect when we pray the name of Jesus for meals, but we don't pray his powerful name when we're fighting the giants of our lives. We come to church and we sing, what a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name it is. But then we go and we seek man's armor. You see, I want to tell you that God wants you to rely on him for the miracle. That God wants you to trust in him for the victory. That God wants you to call upon him again and again for the deliverance that you need. Because he magnifies his name when we're weak. Amen? You see, when we, can't, when we know we can't do it on our own, that's when his glory appears. And God desires to showcase his glory in your battle with a giant. Number one principle, beware of relying on man's armor. Number two principle, be prepared to battle it out. Be prepared to battle it out. Let's look. I love this. Verse 40. Then David took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with the sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Here's my question. Why did David put five stones into his bag? Have you ever thought about that? Why does he put five stones into his bag? I was teaching this particular principle, and I gave the answer for this, and I remember there was a pastor that was really, he was irritated with my answer, and he said it wasn't biblical and everything, and it got kind of heated. I was, was, you know, here's a little principle that I was sharing, and it got really heated, and so I asked the pastor, I said, well, pastor, what do you think was the reason? And he said, well, everybody knows. It's because Goliath had four brothers, okay? So the reason was That David, when he was picking those stones, was like, I'm going to hit Goliath, and then I'm going to have to kill his four brothers as well, right? And I thought, oh, that's kind of weird, right? But I didn't say that, and I thought to myself, I thought, that just sounds very mythical, right? It sounds very apocryphal, because David is in a battle. He's not going to be thinking about all those things. So let me give you a better, more obvious, more logical, rational answer. Why did David put five stones in his bag? And here's the principle. David knew that there was a chance he was going to miss, right? That's the obvious answer. David knew that he could miss, and so he took more than one stone. Here's the principle. It's so profound. In the Christian life, there's a difference between cockiness and confidence when we face our giants. David is confident that the battle is the Lord's. He knows that God will give him the victory, but he doesn't presume to take one stone, okay? Rather, he's ready to battle it out with many stones. David is not cocky thinking that God will just hand over the giant without a serious battle. Now, it ends up that he does do that. A great miracle happens. Can I share with you, in life, that's not always the case, is it? God could provide a miracle like one stone killing a giant. But a lot of times in our lives, we need many stones to battle it out. The New Testament says it this way in reference to our growth as Christians, what we call our sanctification. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 12 says, continue to work out your sanctification with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So you might say, I'm confused. In my spiritual growth, in my sanctification, is God sanctifying me? Is he working in me to will and to act? Or am I Am I the one who's working? Is it up to me to work it out with fear and trembling? And the answer is always both. It's always both when it comes to our spiritual growth. It's a combination. But here's my point. There are many Christians who think, since the battle is the Lord's, I can just take it easy. I don't have to battle in my life. And then they get surprised when they fall and they fail by the giant. The Bible uses words like fighting, wrestling, running pressing, working, struggling, suffering, persevering to gain victory to become like Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit just won't miraculously do it for us many times. We don't become spiritual by osmosis. We must have a desire to battle it out in our lives. Let me give you an example. How many of you here are Dodger fans? Would you raise your hand? Okay, nobody here. I'm the only Dodger fan. How many here are Giants fans? Would you raise your hand? Oh, my goodness. Okay, put them down. Okay, really quick, all right? I'm a Dodger fan. I make no bones about it, right? And Cody Bellinger is one of my favorite L.A. Dodgers. He's rookie of the year, right? He's an amazing hitter, home run hitter, and he's on pace, right, to, to hit about 70-plus home runs. You know, God willing, that's going to happen, right? He probably gets up to bat 600 times in a season, 160 games, four times at bat in a given year. How many of you you don't know baseball at all? Would you raise your hand so I know? Okay, all right. So I'll explain something. If I were to interview him in the beginning of the season, what we call spring training, and I were to go to him and I were to say, are you going to hit 1,000 this year? So what that means is that every time I come to the plate, I get a hit. That's what 1,000 means, okay? Perfection. I'm going to get a hit every time I come to the plate. He's going to tell me, there's no way I'm going to hit 1,000. No one hits 1,000. But then I ask him, do you desire to hit 1,000? You know what he's going to tell me? Of course. I'm not intending to get outs. I'm only intending to get hits. So I ask him this question, so when are you going to strike out? Well, that's a ridiculous question, isn't it? Because he doesn't know when he's going to strike out. He's He's not planning on striking out. He'll say to me, every time I go out there, I'm battling for a hit. I'm hungry for a home run. You see, this is what it means to be a Christian. We're working out our sanctification every day. We come to the plate with fear and trembling and energy and passion, and we desire a victory. Amen? But many of us, listen to me, many of us, we come to the plate already defeated. We're Dodgers. We're God's people, right? And we're facing the evil giants, right? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Because we're talking about giants, right? If you're a San Francisco, I'm just joking, okay? We're God's people. We're the Dodgers. We're facing the giants. But many of us, we're not ready for battle. And we're overwhelmed by this giant. And we almost expect to strike out. And the giant throws the fastball of lust at us. And what do we say? Oh, I can't hit that. I always fail. The fastball of lust, right? Strike one. Or the giant throws the knuckleball of illness, okay? And we think to ourselves, man, there's no way I'm going to hit that. I give up. That's not a fair uh, pitch, right? What am I doing? I can't trust the Lord. What's the point of it all? Strike two. And then the giant throws the curveball of unexpected problems. And you think to yourself, I wasn't ready for this. I can't have victory. Strike three. You see, no batter would survive with that kind of attitude. The desire of Cody Bellinger and great hitters is every time I come up, I'm going to hit it out of there. I'm going to battle for a home run. Sometimes I strike out, but many times I get a hit. And that's the Christian life. It's a constant battling, a fight of faith. There will be overwhelming floods, impenetrable walls, intimidating giants. But God expects us to come to the plate and engage all of it. And he gives us a promise, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, I will, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. You see, the promise is not if, but when. It's going to come. When you face the giants, you need to prepare to battle hard because God's with you. Because the battle is the Lord's. Can I get an amen? Amen. You're getting this, right? The third B of the killer bees is be sure to collect memorabilia. Let's look at it. Verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. And he took a hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. David cuts off the giant's head and took it with him. And all God's people said, that's gross. That's gross, right? But why does he do this? Why does he take Goliath's head to Jerusalem? Why does he take Goliath's weapons to his own tent? And here's my point. Write this down. David practiced the spiritual principle of collecting memorabilia. You see, the Bible is pregnant with instances of collecting memorabilia. God tells Israel in the Bible again and again and again to create memorials as a nation. You see, memorabilia is a symbol designed to help you remember or meditate upon a person, a place, or an event. And the reason why memorabilia helps us in fighting giants is that it helps us gain strength from the past victories that we've had, so that we can move forward to future victories. It causes us to remember God's faithfulness in our lives, the power that we have in Jesus Christ to live by faith in this present time. The question is, do you remember why David was so confident that he could defeat Goliath? What was this snot-nosed 17-year-old teenager thinking in taking on such a big giant? Well, let's look. Chapter 17, verse 34, look at it. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David says it matter-of-factly. Two memorials. Number one, a lion. Number two, a bear. Number three, a giant. Does that make sense? He sees the memorials in his life. He meditates on God's faithfulness with the lion and the bear, and this gives him strength and the confidence that he has to conquer his next giant, Goliath. I want you to notice David defeats the giant, and he takes memorabilia, his weapons, to encourage him in the next giant that he faces. You know, I have a friend who collects movie memorabilia. Okay? And he has an autographed, I'm so jealous, an autographed glove of Sylvester Stallone from the Rocky series. And he has a script of Rocky One autographed by the whole cast. It's movie memorabilia. I love that, right? I'm going to steal it from him one day, right? I have another friend, I'm just joking. I have another friend who collects sports memorabilia. He has a Tiger Woods autographed glove. He has, a game-worn, he has game-worn Kobe Bryant shoes of his MVP year. And to them... These are special because they commemorate important moments in history of movies and sports. But do you know what's more important than that? It's being spiritual memorabilia collectors. It's collecting spiritual memorabilia. Let me give you a list of a couple uh, of a few of these because I believe all of us can collect this stuff in our lives. We don't have to be millionaires. Can you put it up? Do we have one more? Bible verses. What promises has God given you in his word that you've seen those Bible verses come alive in your life? When I came to know the Lord, um, the passage that God gave me was Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I came and I was, uh, I came to know the Lord and I was miraculously transformed through Romans 8 and verse 1. It's in my head. It's spiritual memorabilia. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10 was my calling to ministry. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I ordained you, a prophet to the nations. God gave me that. When I came to Renew, and Wilson asked me to join the team. God gave me a green light, Psalm chapter 37, verses 4 through 7. It talks about waiting on the Lord, delighting on the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And God placed me at Renew Church. See, Bible verses our spiritual memorabilia, and I'll never forget that. Another one is answered prayer. Answered prayer. How has God answered your prayers? I remember Joanna sitting here. I remember when we were facing financial hardships and we needed a car. We didn't tell anybody. We prayed, and God gave us a Toyota Paseo. Somebody just, a friend of mine just said, here's my Toyota Paseo, right? And I wrote that in my prayer journal because God gave me a car. And every time I drove it, right, right? I remember God's goodness, that when I pray, God answers, and that's spiritual memorabilia for me. Geographic locations. I live a a quarter of a mile from where we first lived when we were struggling financially as a couple, and we were renting a one-bedroom condo, and we were saying, God, give us a home. Lord, it'd be great if you gave us a home. Now I live in a beautiful home, okay, and I pass by that condo every day, and you know what? that reminds me of God's faithfulness and what he's done in my life. That's spiritual memorabilia. Specific items can be. I have a Bible um, where, uh, I know this is gonna sound weird, but I'll explain it later on, not, not in this sermon, but I actually have a Bible and it was a gift or it was a prize to me uh, because of a sermon contest I won in 1992. And it was, listen to this. <laughs> so I, I was praying, Lord, you know, if you're gonna make me a pastor, you, have you given me the spiritual gift of preaching and everything? And I prayed that, and God told me to be a part of this sermon contest. And so my first sermon, okay, I ever preached was to 5,000 people, and I won that sermon contest. So I am reminded, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that to be like, uh, you know, no, none of, none of that, okay? I'm just telling you that that's a specific item, and I'm, remem- and I'm reminded never to doubt my calling as a preacher because of what he's done. Specific people. You know, Alexis, my daughter, we prayed for 10 years to have her. We couldn't have a kid. She's our miracle baby. And so every time, and she's going to be graduating to go to high school, and every time I see her, she is a memorial to me or a memorabilia to me of God's faithfulness and his love for us in answering our prayers. Listen, I have these things, but I know you do too. Do you hold on to it? Is it important to you? I could go on and on about the spiritual memorabilia that I've collected in my life. Why does God tell us to set up memorials so that we won't forget? You see, when we face the giants, when we're in the thick of it all, we tend to focus on the wrong things. We tend to look with panic all around us, and we forget about our God. We tend to forget so that when God does something spectacular in your life, he says, don't forget that, hide it in your heart, And bring it to mind whenever you need it. Whenever you're stressed, whenever you're questioning, whenever you don't know what the next thing is, remember my faithfulness in the past. Remember what I've done in the past and let that be your memorial for the future. I'm sure every night as David went to bed, he saw that spear with that 15-pound head and that shaft as big as a weaver's rod. And he looked at that super-sized bronze sword that he had And David was reminded how God had given him yet another powerful victory and has strengthened his faith to even a greater degree. Can I get an amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment. As the praise team comes up, in the quietness of your hearts, I want to ask, are you in the midst of battling a giant? Will you commit to rely on God's name rather than man's armor? Will you prepare yourself to battle it out? Not to give up, but to persevere because the battle is the Lord's. Will you be sure to collect the memorials, to remember the faithfulness of the past, to let that be your motivation for the future. God, I thank you for what you're doing, and I pray that you would continue, Lord, to work that out in our lives. As we go to communion in a little bit, I pray that we would make that commitment once again to live a life that is pleasing to you, to be men and women of your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.